KFB in Berkeley, 88.1 KFCF in Fresno, and online at kpfa.org. The time is now 3 p.m. Stay tuned for Stone's Throw with Jennifer Stone. Happy ending, nice and tidy. It's a rule I learned in school. Get your money. Every Friday, happy endings are the rule. So divide up those in darkness from the ones who walk in light. Light them up, boys, there's your picture. The shadows out of sight. This is Jennifer Stone, Stone's Throw. And first off, I want to tell everyone that Larry Bensky is going to be over at the at St. John's Presbyterian 7 o'clock uh, Thursday night November the 14th it's all about Proust now maybe you caught Larry this morning on the other radio station you know the other public radio station <laughs> it was a lot of fun this morning I I have to say that the loss of Larry Bensky was probably uh, one of the darkest days in the history of this station. Never mind. Never mind. Never mind. We must live on and suffer. Okay. Larry, uh, let's see. You can call up St. John's Presbyterian and ask them about tickets. It may sell out. Uh, it's 7 o'clock Thursday night. 14 November, and there's a lot of music. I'm not sure about the details. You better call and find out. Uh, music and goodies and readings and like that, but I'm not sure exactly, you know, what's on the uh, program. Uh, I think it's under Proust.something. <laughs> Never mind. Today is Tuesday, November the 12th. 2013, 10 days from now, the world will observe the 50th anniversary of the death of John Fitzgerald Kennedy, uh, once president of these United States. Now, I am preempted next week. Uh, that's uh, promotion day to raise funds for the KPFA archives. Save our history here at Pacifica Radio. Uh, right. Study history. Learn your place in time. Anyway, for next Tuesday, I had planned a rap about uh, JFK and about the way our nation changed. How there was a turnaround when Kennedy died, when Kennedy was shot, killed, murdered, assassinated. Uh, how for so many of us that death was the the turnaround, right? The great U-turn. Who said when the train of history hits a sharp curve, 
half the thinkers fall off. I think it was more than half. Anyway, uh, I was going to rap about, you know, how we felt about it. I was going to talk about my first child, how he reacted. He was exactly the age of John John. And so, of course, he was too young to understand. Uh, we watched that little boy stand there and salute the coffin. Uh, it was a wipeout. I guess that's all I can call it. Uh, sat in the kitchen watching a little black and white TV set for days. Anyway, for a lot of people my age, I was born in 1933, the turnaround, the, what is it, the wake-up call was the day that the United States military dropped an atom bomb on Hiroshima and on Nagasaki. Not one, but two bombs. Right. <laughs> Loss of innocence, some people called it. <laughs> my own innocence, as well as my country's, I was in that age between dolls and despair. Anyway... The mass of Americans actually uh, associate the Kennedy assassination with the moment or the uh, the time that our spirit grew dark. The, the dark birds of history circling, circling, uh, uh, cynical, that's what it was. We became cynical, so many of us. Uh, other people say, oh, no, not till Nixon. Uh, anyway, uh, who said, I think, uh, some philosopher, after the first death, there is no other. Actually, for me, it was my mother's death in 1947 when I was 13. In the sinister 60s, the thinkers, yes, the men with purpose, uh, were shot. Uh, they were killed by a strange assortment of assassins. Uh, they seemed to be lone screwballs, you know. I have listened for decades to all the arguments about conspiracy plots or about the notion that the climate of the time is what did it, you know, gave permission for these screwballs to step, step to the, uh, <laughs> step to the, what, what do we call that? Uh, they, they rose to the occasion. That's what it was, you know. I thought, well, you know, might as well go out, take some action. This political, social milieu uh, gave them permission to become psychopaths. Uh, Edgar Evers, Malcolm X, Martin Luther King, finally Robert Kennedy, and several more, many more, actually. Um, the subsequent lurch to the right was evident by the late 1970s. Then came <laughs> 1980, and Ronald Reagan sealed the deal. Ah, fate. However, ah, uh, these days, well, there's a lot of new age nonsense, and 
I think that that has discouraged many true revolutionaries. But still, still, the romance of liberation, uh, freedom, this business of soul-searching, progress, we could call it progress, the whole notion that there's a creative force, always, that it's perennial as the grass. I guess... I guess it depends. Depends on the hour of the day. <laughs> depends on the moment. I <laughs> I think it's three o'clock in the morning. Three o'clock in the morning. Ah, the dark night of the soul. That's what it is. <laughs> Last night at three a.m., I snapped on the television. Sarah Palin was sitting with a couple of women. Uh, in a shop window, yes, at the mall. It was the Today Show, yes, 3 a.m. Mm, she had nothing to say, Sarah Palin, and she said it. She had a little flag done uh, in maybe diamonds. It was a little bit of jewelry on a chain around her throat. She shines like a new penny, that woman. Anyway, <laughs> I guess uh, she's written a book. By the way, uh, the new book is To Defend Christmas from the Atheists. Now, how about that? Uh, never mind. I made notes on her makeup. Reminded me of the time when Monica Lewinsky's lipstick sold out because <laughs> she came on television and everyone gasped and went out and purchased uh, her lipstick, the color, right. Aha, what a trip to live in America. What a trip. Anyway, uh, I think that, what is it? Uh, I am probably one of those who is in, in the dark. In, what is it, the back side of the moon? Someone once said that all flesh is grass. I think, yes, it was my father's favorite quote. His grim assessment of uh, the fate of human beings gone to graveyards, everyone. Lemon tree, very pretty. And the lemon flower is sweet. Anyway, I was thinking last night, watching the news, that... Uh, my father's legacy, his World War II agony, uh, some of it took place in Tacloban. How about that? He, my father, was a, dictor, a doctor on a Navy hospital ship over in the Pacific Theater of Military Operations. Yes, now when he was in the Philippines, he was walking around Tacloban the city that is no more, uh, the very place where thousands died and continue to suffer and die today at this moment, uh, victims of a natural disaster. Nature hit hardest ever, they say. They're always trying to say it was the worst that ever was. Okay, tens of thousands or just thousands? Today, the headache is the unnatural, let's call it unnatural failure of the human response that is making everyone pull out their hair. I think, uh, as someone said, 
on uh, television, people have begun to panic. I just watched the news and remembered uh, my father's love of the beauties of that place, of Tacloban, his love for the Pacific Ocean, the beaches. Uh, he brought home these giant killer clam shells, those great white shells. They were big enough for bird baths. We had them all over the backyard and the front yard and all the way down to the street. Uh, he brought home such incredibly beautiful shells. Most of all, I remember a monkey. He brought home a monkey, a little macaque. He managed to get that little monkey onto his ship, this hospital ship. Now, I have no idea how he did that. He was a commander, that was his rank, so I guess he got away uh, with a lot. I know that uh, his stories were were hair-raising. Uh, I just think of him frolicking on the beach, and then I remember that wonderful scene in Apocalypse Now, you remember... The uh, the boys, Robert Duvall and his crowd out there surfing while they were <laughs> bombing. Anyway, my father named this little tiny macaque, this little monkey. He named her Tacloban, of course. That's uh, her place of origin. Tacloban, we called Tacky. That's what I called her, and Tac-Tac, but mostly, mostly Tacky. I love that little uh, monkey more than any pet I've ever had. I remember her so, so vividly. It's almost 70 years. Her tiny little face and her hands and her cheeks were always puffed out, you know, because she's full of treats. She was always saving the extra bits. Uh, wonder I didn't kill her with all the nonsense I fed her. She was, she was a dreadful creature, a little handful. Uh, I lived with my mother and sister and brother in La Jolla at the time we were waiting for the war to end. We were there for the duration, we said. Uh, uh, we were luxuriating in a beatific beach town in Southern California while the world went mad. Now, Tacky was with us for several years, several years. Uh, I remember... I remember that Tacloban was the place my father wanted to return to, he said, after the war. He said he wanted to take me to see the incredible beauty of the Philippines, all the islands of the Pacific Ocean, as it was back in the day, the days that he had seen. There was a lot of that, I remember, after the war, Ah, the days that we have seen. We have heard the chimes of midnight at midnight. We have heard the chimes at midnight. You remember that line from Shakespeare's Henry IV. My father liked to quote Falstaff. I was delighted the other day. I was watching the, the movie Lincoln. And Daniel Day-Lewis is playing Lincoln. And he quotes the line, uh, I have heard the chimes at midnight. You and who else, Abe? Anyway, strange to find myself moved to tears. 
by things like that. Uh, when I was younger, I was into suffering. I really suffered about these things. Uh, I thought of the Second World War as having killed my father and the Vietnam War as having killed my brother, that sort of thing. And in order to get out of my maudlin self-pity and obsessions, I tried to turn my life into little stories, you know, tried to um, make poems and short stories. Last night I was looking through my stuff. I found this short story, little tiny piece. It was uh, from an early memoir. I can't resist reading it to you. It's uh, from a collection called Over by the Caves. And what I did was I changed Tacky's name. I called her Zelda. I called her boyfriend Scott, as we got this male monkey later. And I did this in an attempt to illustrate gender roles. I was trying to write about the anguish of my parents. Uh, yes, back in 1977, when this was written, right, I was really obsessed with all the ways that men and women didn't, couldn't, wouldn't understand each other. Anyway, this little piece from Over by the Caves is titled My Mother's Monkey's Name Was Zelda. After my mother and father separated in 1944, my father married a woman he met at the Del Mar Club, or the Buena Vista. He was married for a few weeks, and then he went overseas to mop up some islands, he said. After the war, I never saw the wife. He did bring her to the house late one night before he left. She had some sort of complicated hairdo. She sat on the side of my bed in the dark. She told me how she was going to do her best for my father to take care of him and uh, <laughs> and all that stuff. She sounded a bit off. I didn't appreciate much of what she said. I was about 11 at the time. I'd never thought about anyone taking care of my father, although it was probably a good idea. He came back alone after being in the South Pacific. Uh, hmm. This time, he brought a monkey. Now, this monkey he picked up in the Philippines. Mm -hmm. This time, he came in the daytime. He woke up my mother. My mother was very sick from drinking too much, but she got dressed and she sat by the garden window where roses fell into the room. She watched the monkey tear down the curtains and... <laughs> I've used some words I have to cut here. Tear down the curtains and shred the books on the bookcase. That monkey ran berserk. My mother looked around at the wreckage and smiled. Zelda, she said. That's the monkey's name. She pulled the monkey off the mantelpiece, along with a tin of stale tobacco, an empty pipe rack, and a vase of blue wildflowers. Here, she said, handing me the monkey's leash. 
You take her, Pumpkin. I can't play anymore. And so it was that Zelda got to be my familiar spirit. She went in and out with me. My father boasted to everyone that Zelda was destructive as all hell. If she wasn't tied up, she could wreck a store or a, a garden uh, in minutes. She tore up Mother's rose garden. She pulled down the clothesline, shredded the mail. One time my father took her with him on a trip. He left her uh, in his car while he went inside a roadhouse. <laughs> he always liked to stop at the bars. He tied her leash around the steering wheel, and while he was gone, she threw the car keys out the window into the sand, emptied the glove compartment, tearing each item as she went along. Then, urinating on the road map my father was using, she tore the registration papers from the steering wheel and shredded them. She threw away the cigarette lighter after burning a hole in the front seat and two holes in the canvas top of his convertible. She got into the back seat and went through a stack of phonograph records. You remember phonograph records. She took exactly one bite out of each of the 34 records. She stuffed the broken bits and pieces down into the car windows, which never opened again. She also threw out the ashtrays, the gas pedal, and the radio knobs. Then she got behind the wheel and started to honk the horn. So my father finally came out to stop her. She bit him so badly he had to get his hand disinfected. Well, my father finally thought it over. Then he built the cage. Zelda was lonely in the cage. We built a little adobe house for her with beam ceilings and lots of windows. The vet told us we should get a male monkey, and so we got Scott. He had reddish eyes. He was really mean. Zelda's eyes were brown and frightened. Scott had long canine teeth. Although he was an old-world monkey, uh, he was a macaque like Zelda. Even I was scared of him. He rattled her cage till he broke it. Zelda was always irritating. I mean, from the very beginning. But Scott was something else. He inspired terror. Now, Zelda would stop being holy terror if you shook her, you know, if you got hold of her around her back and shoulders and just shook her till her teeth rattled and your arm ached. Uh... Then she would chatter and talk with her hands and then cry some and then hang on around her neck until she felt better. Scott was angry through and through, and he never looked anyone straight in the eye. My mother said that was because he came from the zoo. Anyway... He broke the cage once too often, and the police brought him back, and someone made a legal complaint, and finally Scott tore my arm open, so my father gave up and had him destroyed. So after that, Zelda sat in her little adobe house 
with the beam ceilings. And so it rained then, and she got sick then, and the vet said, well, she missed her mate, but I'm not so sure. I left the cage open sometimes, but she stayed in the little dark house most of the time. For a long time, she just sat there and hardly messed up anything. One day, she came out in the sun and sat on the wall and threw some rocks into the road. But she wasn't really trying, not really trying to hit anyone. I mean, she never missed when she meant it. Well, this story goes on and on, and I tell you, it does, it does. Take me back to memories that are too heavy. I thought that I was too old to to have those uh, to have those waves come over me again. I remember when I was writing all these stories about the 1940s and the 50s and uh, oh, you know, trips to graveyards and that sort of thing. I uh, I found my way. To a psychiatrist. I think I was trying to get some disability, something like that. And I gave him uh, stories to read, and I asked him, uh, I should know better than to ask for an honest opinion. I gave him this story about Zelda and Scott and, uh, and my mother, and he said, Oh, he said, Bathos. It's bathos and I thought he's absolutely right there's absolutely nothing in our culture that allows us to wallow in our sorrow in our grief Uh, I'm looking at the next story here called Electra's Curse begins with an epigraph by D.H. Lawrence from a story called The Woman Who Rode Away That's what I hoped to be after this phase. I hoped in the 50s to become the woman who rode away. The woman who rode away in D.H. Lawrence's story says, Why am I the only one that wears blue? The answer comes, It is the color of the wind. It is the color of what? goes away and is never coming back, but which is always here, waiting like death among us. It is the color of the dead. This story is all about um, (laughs) my hilarious years at a school in Fallbrook, California. It was called, (laughs) it was called, uh, the, uh, what was the, yes, I I changed the name in here. I called it Evelyn Drearson Muffies. (laughs) That was not the real name. I don't like to knock things like that. I remember once writing a really dreadful story in which I, uh, made some snide remarks about Mills College, that wonderful woman's college that I went to from 1951 to 1955. And 
I read a review in the Mills Quarterly not long after that, and I realized that uh, I had been, well, not unkind, but that I had been, uh, well, I had been a little rude in my comments, and uh, I should have, I should have been more circumspect after all. Mills College gave me uh, all the brains I've got, but I still felt the need, you know, felt the need to take them down. Never mind, I'll be back in two weeks. This has been Jennifer Stone with Stone's Throw. Until then, go easy, and if you can't go easy, go as easy as you can. There's your picture Drop the shadows Out of sight KPFA listeners, you are invited to attend a community open house to be held at KPFA Radio on Saturday, November 16th from 10 a.m. until noon. You will have an opportunity to view a live broadcast, learn about the services of a number of Bay Area community agencies, speak with agency representatives in person, as well as have a tour of the KPFA studios. You'll also have a chance to meet apprentices and learn about the First Voice Apprenticeship Program. All this along with light refreshments. KPFA is located at 1929 Martin Luther King Jr. Way in Berkeley. For more information, call 510-848-6767, extension 235. We hope to see you there.